On the ocean that hollows the rocks where you dwell, a shadowy land has appeared as they tell. Men thought it a region of sunshine and rest, and they called it Oberzil, the Isle of the Blessed. From year unto year, on the ocean's blue rim, the beautiful specter showed lovely and dim. The golden clouds curtained deep where it lay, and it looked like an Eden, away, far away. Brazil, the Isle of the Blessed by Gerald Griffin. From the unexplained to the mundane, come join us on our journey to the fringe. Welcome back to our journey to the fringe. How many episodes are we at now? Too many to count. An incountable amount of episodes at this point. (laughs) What are even our numbers? I don't know. (laughs) We are moving now to a different kind of genre of fringe topics. We decided we needed a vacation from our cryptids and we're going to go visit some islands. This week in particular, we're looking at mythical islands that exist throughout the world. We wanted to go a little more abstract than just the good old Atlantises that are out there in the world. As I read the poem before, I will be focusing on High Brazil today. Chelsea over here has decided to focus on Lemuria. We're here on your left. Yes. We got a lot of info to get to, so I think I'm just going to get right into this. Let's begin. Hi, Brazil. What are we talking about? Well, we are not talking about the country of Brazil. We are talking about a island of myth. Going back centuries and centuries, it is off the southwest coast of Ireland, somewhere between 150 and 300 kilometers. There's no specific size that's really mentioned. There is a shape to it. It's generally believed to be two islands that are actually close together in a circular shape with an amount of water in between them that separates them. But it's generally thought to be about 200 kilometers off the southwest coast of Ireland. That one, that's pretty clear from all the discussions that are out there. Okay. When we're talking about Brazil and we're talking about High Brazil, they're not actually named after each other in any way. It's just kind of an anglicized version of two different languages coming together. So the country of Brazil is believed to be named after the wood that came from Brazil when it was discovered. That was its biggest export to the Portuguese world. Brazil wood. Brasa in Portuguese means amber. So a a deep red, which funny enough is close to brass, but would be a slightly different color, slightly darker. So yeah, it was the country of uh, Brazil wood. Simple enough. When we're talking about high Brazil, Brazil, there are many different spellings of it, is Celtic. And it is the high king of the world. And high H-Y is Celtic for island. So this was supposed to be the island where the high king of the world lived. Mm. And this is all going back. uh, This is all pre-Christianity that a lot of this stuff kind of takes place. So when the Celtics were there, they believed the island to be a land of eternal plenty and happiness populated by an advanced civilization of immortals possessing high technology and vast wealth. The island was said to harbor magnificent cities with towers and streets of gold and to be ruled by mysterious priests with magical powers who knew all of the secrets of the universe. High Brazil was said to typically be shrouded in fog, hidden from the world of mortals, only to appear once every seven years. And typically the stories went that anyone approaching the island would find themselves somehow unable to reach it. But those who did manage to get there would come back laden with gold and riches beyond their wildest imaginations. That's like leprechauns. Yeah, it's funny. It kind of seems like where a lot of mythical things would be living. And I don't really know. I couldn't find specific references and like Celtic lore or anything about why it would be every seven years. Also, you're going to see a lot of people who try to discover it go back a couple times, but they don't seem to go every seven years. So it it (laughs) seems to change up. Once Christianity got there, I thought Christianity would have got there a little later. I guess it didn't because England in itself was ruled by Rome. So it would be that far for it to push up just a little bit or over to Ireland. And there were two saints, Saint Berend and Saint Brendan. The most important one here is Saint Brendan. He was a monk 
in early days, 4 and 485 AD, and he decided to set sail and spread Christianity to all the islands around. And he was gone for five years. When he came back, he told tale of basically reaching this utopia that was full of saints, and he feasted with them in their castle. There was so much food that they ate for days and days and days. He got there and he believed that he was only allowed to be there because he was so virtuous and holy. Wow. It was called the land of the saints. So he believed that very high and mighty on himself, first of yeah. all. Surprised I haven't been there myself. Yeah, he described it very similarly to what the Celtics described above, kind of like this place full of immortals. There was no sickness or anything like that. That's generally just kind of what people are talking about. It's just it's changed to, oh, yeah, that's because of Jesus. Don't you know? I didn't know. <laughs> Once that happens way later on in the 1500s to 1600s, sometime in there, there's a book by the name of Voyage to O Brazil. And uh, they also describe something along the lines of this Christianity idea of it. So below the waters, enclosed in a type of huge bubble, there was a small country, a land of virtue and Christian faith with happy people. The island was reported to be shrouded in a mist or appeared briefly once every seven years, was the home of wealthy or highly advanced civilization. They also described the roofs as being, I want to say paved, but that's not the word. The roofs were made of gold and the cattle were healthy. So that's good of them. Nice. Yeah. Those are kind of just tales of old where you don't really get specific dates. But when maps actually start getting made, they are putting it on map. The first kind of mention of it on a map happens, and that's in 1325. Genoese, I don't know how to say that, but Genoese cartographer by the name of Delorto first put it on a map, and he spelt it B-R-A-C-I-L-E. It is just off the coast that we've been talking about. And 1328, Angelino del Cert did the same thing. This was an Italian cartographer. And in 1436, Andrea Bianco, a Venetian map maker, added it. He put. Is that what we're looking at now? No, what we're looking at now is by Abraham Ortelius. There is actually a better page for all the maps. I mean, they look like generally accurate maps. Yeah, they all kind of put it in the same place. And there are a ton of maps. Generally, and the geography is actually, correct. Actually, you'll like this one. There was a Catalan chart that would have it on it. All of Catalan's charts had it in 1480s. And it was the Ilha de Brasil, so island of Brazil. And Andrea Bianco, the Venetian map maker, he had Insula de Brasil. He put this kind of closer to where the Azores are. But nonetheless, mm -hmm. he still named it the Sounds island like. of Brazil. This actually made it onto some of Piri Reese's maps. Interesting. Piri Reese is very famous in a lot of fringe topics because he's a very notable map maker, but he made his from ancient maps. One of his maps allegedly shows the coastline of Antarctica without any ice. Mm -hmm. And he lived in the 1500s. 1525 is when this Piri Reese map happened. With all these myths and talks about it with no specificities, this whole time when people go out fishing, there are a lot of stories of seeing an island and trying to get to it and just being unable to or getting lost in fog and suddenly seeing an island and trying to get to it and you can't quite get there. Mm -hmm. So in uh, 1480 and 1481, a man by the name of John J. Jr. out of Bristol, he tried to find it. He commissioned boats and found some money to get these boats out there on the sea to go find it. Both times came up empty had to go home to Bristol in 1497 and sorry this is this is kind of the end of his journey but a man by the name of Giovanni Caboto more commonly known as John Cabot because he worked for the British government and was of Spanish descent so he took a more anglicized name he is very notable because he's the first European to reach Newfoundland and he was searching for the Northwest Passage or the passage to Asia. But what he was really looking for, and he wouldn't really tell anybody, was High Brazil. So oh, on his wow. journeys he was over really there, off. he was looking for it. Yeah. Accidentally discovered <laughs> No wonder he didn't want to tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> he so overshot it. He never specifically says he found High Brazil. But there is a letter that was written by a man by the name of Pedro de Ayala to the Catholic monarchs of Spain. And he reported that Cabot did claim he found land that had been discovered in the past by men from Bristol who found Brazil. And this is kind of an implication of what John Jay Jr. was looking for. 
Here's what's also in the letter. For the last seven years, the people of Bristol have equipped two, three, and four caravels to go in search of the island of Brazil and the seven cities, according to the fancies of this Genoese. The king made up his mind to send thither because last year, sure proof was brought they found land. Now, that also could be just an odd mention that the fact that he found Newfoundland. I'm not really sure if there was some sort is of confusion making land? him think that he found it. Because in theory, yeah, it is to the west. Can you imagine going, I mean, what would be the sailing time to high Brazil in theory? Maybe maybe under an hour? No, like 300 kilometers. It's a couple days. And then how long would it take you to get to Newfoundland? Couple months. Like, yeah. But to be fair, so. that's also Christopher <laughs> Columbus believed he was sailing to India and wildly underappreciated how large the globe is. Yeah. So he really just got lucky that there was. I guess it's just trial there. and error at that yeah. point. This is probably my favorite story now. A sailor by the name of John Nisbet. He was sailing from France to Ireland when he got lost in a fog and he found the island. He disembarked and discovered that. How do I put this? What he discovered on the island, he says, is many giant black rabbits. I don't know if he means like just big for rabbits or like bear sized rabbits, but he saw <laughs> giant black rabbits. He also met a wizard who basically said that he was trying to hide the island. And it looks like they were able to thwart his defenses, gave him a bunch of gold and they left and went to Ireland. Some stories account the wizard's name to be Michael Scott, which just Wait, was this? this is 1674, not the uh, mid to early 2000s. So wouldn't come up again. And I don't think Michael Scott, the character on The Office, is based on this story. <laughs> and then uh, it's bizarre, but somebody very shortly after this, Alexander Johnson, I couldn't find the year, but he also claimed to have gone to the island and had the exact same story that there are giant rabbits and a wizard who gives you gold. Somebody else said this. Yes. A wizard. What what was so wizardy about this guy? I I guess the fact that he kept the fog up about him. They don't really describe him. 1600s. I'm just trying because everything would be. Were wizards a big thing at the time? I don't think they were. Yeah, I don't really know. I guess they're really, they are kind of a thing up until at least the 1800s. I guess so. And yeah, I don't know what a wizard would look like back in the day, but that's their story. I'm just thinking of Merlin. He was a wizard, right? Merlin, yeah. I do picture a beard, but outside of that, I don't know what they would expect a wizard to look like. And I don't know if he told them he was a wizard or they just kind of assumed. <laughs> well, there must have been a like template of what a wizard looked like at the time. Yeah. He looked it or he said, hi, I'm a wizard. Take your gold and go. Don't ask questions. Go. <laughs> Get the hell out of here. I mean, if somebody's giving out gold, they got to be a wizard. Anyhow, a couple of years later, 1684, an Irish short historian by the name of, I'm going to anglicize this name because I'm fairly certain this is how we would say it today, Rory O'Flaherty, met a man who said he was abducted and taken to High Brazil. He claimed to be there for two days. He got ill, passed out, and when he woke up, he was back in Ireland. <laughs> and right up until 1872, we have a man by the name of TJ Westrup, and he and his family actually said they witnessed the island, although they were sailing off the east coast of Ireland. So whether or not it would be the same island that they had seen isn't really known. It seems to pop up in different places. A little bit. But for the most part, they're generally described as off the West Coast. And mm -hmm. also, TJ saw it several times in his life. This last time in 1872, he decided to bring his wife out there and his family because he wanted to, them to view the glory that was High Brazil or this mysterious island he had found. Why he didn't bring anybody else, I don't really know. Right around this time in the 1870s, the British Navy decided to stop printing High Brazil on any of its maps or charts. And that's because they had been at the seas long enough and they found no real credible sightings of it. So they decided, you know what, there's nothing there. Let's just pull it off this map because these are supposed to be factually correct maps. Okay. The next real mention of it is in the 1980s. It goes away. Oh, sorry. There is one before that. Where did I put it? July 7th of 1878, the town of Bali Cotton in the county of Cork saw a mysterious island off the coast that had never been there before. And apparently it was so close that people could see the forests and the valleys that were on this island. 
Interesting. Uh, pretty much most of the town saw it and a bunch of fishermen tried to, they took their boats out to go to it. And when they got close, it just disappeared. I wonder if that's not a mirage of sorts. Did you see uh, that picture recently? It was just off the UK, I think, of the tanker ship floating in the air. Yeah, I did see that. And we're going to get to that in a second. I, mean, I got two okay. more things to touch on and then we're going to get there. Okay, quick before you forget. Okay, next thing that really comes up. So 1878's that weird sighting off the coast for the entire town. In the 80s, 1980s, Rendlesham Forest occurs. Sergeant Penniston describes the binary. We've already talked about this. He writes the binary down from touching an unidentified craft. These binaries are interpreted into English and they're supposed to be coordinates. And one of those coordinates matches up with an approximate location of where High Brazil is supposed to be. On February 18th of 2012, a pilot by the name of Niger Gosso, I don't, I believe it's a French name, said that as he flew over this area of the Irish Sea that we've been talking about, his compass had gone haywire. And when he looked down, he could see green rolling hills through clear patches in the fog where there should have been no landmass. The pilot said that the fog had then become suddenly thicker, heavily blanketing the area and obscuring his view of the baffling green land below, after which he continued his flight to Ireland. Well, so, it's still like weird sightings. And this like experience. Yeah. And the experience of the like electric fog does have weird connections to it as well, which we might talk about at a later date. Mm -hmm. That's the most recent case I could find, but there is a big gap between the most recent and the next one. People have kind of speculated what has been talked about here. First one is in this general area where High Brazil is supposed to be, there is a, a fairly high cropping of land. It's about 200 meters below the sea level. And it's called Porcupine Bank. So it is right here. Is that where the question mark is? Yeah, that's where the question mark is. Okay. It's off the southwest coast of Ireland, about 200 kilometers. Is that where the big heap porcupines? No, bank? so it was discovered by the SS Porcupine in the 1800s. But mm -hmm. that doesn't stop people from Google reviewing it. It has a 3.7 star rating on Google reviews. It's not that high. Well, there's six reviews and it's mostly it's taken down by one... Sing, there's a single one-star review, and this person says they went for a week and didn't see a single porcupine. Yeah, which, I would I mean that it does feel false advertising. There yeah. is another one. It's a three-star review, and they say it's a decent submarine plane. Recommend you visit in the summer, even if it's a bit crowded at that time. And they like the shellfish, but my wife didn't. So what's Porcupine Bank? Porcupine Bank, sorry, is 200 meters below water. And it's just oh, okay. people believe that at one point during the peaks of ice ages, it likely would be above water. So there could have been an island there. However, it would be so long ago that the peoples that are talking about it would very vaguely yeah. remember anything about it. And it'd all be through storytelling. Yeah. The next answer that I find kind of funny because I feel like whoever made this an option has never been there. Some people think that it's misidentified Baffin Island. Now, Chelsea, uh, do you know where Baffin Island is? Yeah, I know it's not there. Yeah, it is what I describe as the chicken head of Canada. So if you ever pull up a map of Canada, there's the territories on the north and there are islands above that territory. And there's one that makes Canada look like a chicken. Oh, it does. Yep, that's Baffin Island. Now, Never I guess there. kind of... Because this part here, they always talked about it. The island is being kind of two hemispheres with a flow of water down the middle. And the beak does kind of meet that description. But I would never describe Baffin Island as a land of plentifulness and merriment and immortals. Yeah, no. And I, if you're getting there, like you wouldn't even see trees on that island. I don't think there are trees in, on Baffin Island. It's very far north. It's very cold. It's all tundra. But that is one theory that's out there. And the last one is an illusion by the name of Fata Morgana. And it's basically when there's an inversion in air temperatures and it refracts the air so you can see further than normal and it can make things appear upside down way bigger than they normally would be. And it is actually fairly common out on the ocean. It has confused ships in war times upon firing on things that just aren't there. It does seem like a reasonable answer. But at the same time, I like the lore behind this island. It's got a whole lot going for it. And that's, that's high cool. Brazil. I liked it. We still don't know if this exists. If it, it does exist, very... it's that one time every seven years. And maybe it does exist for a second. 
I don't know. They said Seems it's once every seven years. They didn't say for how long. Bermuda Triangle-y. Yeah, it does match up a lot, especially when you're looking at that list on the Rendlesham Forest locations. Mm-hmm. A lot of them do have like magnetic anomalies attached to them. Yeah, by the way, we did an episode with Rendlesham Forest, if you want to go listen to it. Might make a little more sense connecting these two things together for you all. And then just listen to the rest while you're there. Yeah, because there's more than just Rendlesham Forest there. Any questions about High Brazil? I don't think I can think of any. I personally hadn't heard about it until we did the Rendlesham Forest and I said High Brazil and you said you love High Brazil. Yeah, it's got black rabbits, giant black rabbits. It kind of reminds me of that show Wilfred. You think it's like the bunny in that? The dog. Oh. Wilfred's a dog. Okay, then I'm thinking of that other movie with... Donnie Darko? Yeah, Donnie Darko. Yeah, I really hope that's not what the rabbits look like. <laughs> I don't it's think I would rabbit. assume that the guy that's hanging out with those things is a wizard, though. Actually, maybe. That's probably why they thought he was a wizard. Because who else would keep the company of giant rabbits like that? I guess. I would kind of assume that you came into a new ecosystem, not wizard. But yeah, let's, let's move on to our next location. And that is Lemuria. Okay, I did Lemuria, which is an interesting place. Just like I was saying before we started recording, I just, first off, I'm not even going to touch the groups involved with Lemuria currently and their beliefs in Lemuria. It gets very new agey now, and I'll kind of go through how it gets there. I'm just going to be doing the quote unquote origins because that alone is going to fill up the rest of the episode and give me more than enough to talk about. And most of what is going on currently is for lack of a better word coming from the ether for lack of a better word because Lemuria is said to go so far back there would be no way to have any actual knowledge for literally anything. It would go back to pre-flood times if it was a place. I don't know how much actual thought I had of knowledge of what I had about Lemuria in the first place before I started looking into this, but I actually found it super interesting in the origins of it, and it has a really long, varied history. Do you know anything about it? I know lots about it. I first heard this term because in our high school that we went to, all the grade 12 students get to play this game, which is basically it's a giant board and we all get a country and we all get to fight over resources more or less. And the the teacher at school named the game Lemuria. The next interaction I had with it was learning that there are only two places in the world you find lemurs, and that is Madagascar and India. So it was proposed that there was a landmass in between that would have gotten them there. Yeah, you got it. Which I was completely mind blown about that it actually was first put forth by a zoologist. I don't know, this kind of caught me off guard. It is really weird that those are the only two places in the world that have lemurs. Yeah, his name was Philip Scatler. And in 1864, he came up with the concept in a book that was the mammals of Madagascar. And he put it forth the explanation as to why there were lemur fossils being found in both Madagascar, which is an island off Africa. And it's in fairly India. far south in Africa, too. Like, these are not close countries. Yeah. And India, but not Africa or in the Middle East. His theory is that it was located between the two land masses in the Indian Ocean, creating a land bridge and subsequently sank beneath the ocean, leaving the lemur stranded. <laughs> Essentially. And I assume <laughs> some drowned. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I know that was probably most of the lemur population at the time. So land bridges were fairly popular at the time when looking at a distribution of species separated by a mass of water. So this is 1864 that he's putting this forth. Well, and this would have been around the time that they proposed the Russia Alaska land bridge, right? The Bering Strait. Well, I don't exactly know, but I'm going to assume so because I'll touch on this pretty quick as to why they don't put forth land bridges any longer, which I'm sure we're all familiar with because we've never been taught about land bridges, really. Uh, Outside Um, of the one that got humans to North America. Yes, but I think it would be under this theory that I'm about to say. Anyhow, this is the one I'm familiar with, but you can... Correct me if I'm wrong on this. But this, like I said earlier, so this would have been pre-flood times, which I learned a new word, which I'll probably never use again because I'm about to instantly forget it. 
antediluvian, oh, yeah. which means pre-flood times, that the island existed. And it was actually to get traction, this theory was put forth prior to this by a French naturalist, Etienne Saint-Hilaire, two decades earlier, so in 1840. And this is how Philip Scatler got so much traction when he put forth the theory again in 1864. And antediluvian, is, I believe that's more of a biblical kind of idea. We would kind of describe this this time period nowadays as the Younger Dryas. Well, I wouldn't exactly put it that way okay. <laughs> if it were me talking. But it would be not pre-flood, but... It would have been during Ice Age. Yeah, for an Ice Age. For a landmass like that to be up above the water. The setup history of Lemuria doesn't end here. It does go on. 1870, biologist Ernst Hackel suggested that Lemuria allows humans to first migrate out of Asia, believed by some to be the birthplace of humanity, I guess depending on who you're talking to, uh, from Asia into Africa and could be the ancestral home of mankind. So, sorry, what year is this guy saying that Asia's where humans came from? 1870. Okay, okay. This is kind of before we put yeah. that line together. Yeah, I was taken aback by the time frames on this when they're putting things forth. So this makes Lemuria the quote-unquote cradle of mankind, a.k.a. paradise, a.k.a. the garden, if you catch my drift, which there's a lot of this going on with the pre-flood times, garden, that comes up as well. I'm not sure on the connections there, that's... There's some biblical references that have come up in my research. Yeah. Oh, and especially like, when did, why can I never remember his name? Darwin. When did Darwin live? You can never remember Darwin's name. No, I can't. Uh, I don't know. A quick Google. Okay. He died <laughs> in eight, he died in 1882. So like his theory of evolution still probably isn't widely accepted at this point. Well, you can see something trying to put some puzzle pieces together in this. A time little frame. bit, but like we're also talking about everything in a biblical sense and like a lot of oh, science yeah. from 1800s going back has the pre-established view that if it was in the Bible, it happened. So we have to describe things that way, which yeah, is which also is why he's describing it as antediluvian. Yeah. So pre-flood in the Bible. Yeah. So this takes Lemuria from geology and zoography into the realm of contemporary issue of the origin of man, where it kind of takes off into a whole other thing. So Lemuria gets his name, obviously, from the separation of the lemurs. Lemuria. Here's where I say what we replace Lambridge's with. So this all seems credible to me, however, was deemed unscientific in the 1960s. Remember that number, 1960s, because what? <laughs> when Alfred Wegener's theory of the continental drift came into play, I had no idea it was only in the 1960s. Yeah, uh, honestly. Which would be Pangea and knowledge of plate tectonics and how the Earth moves. We still don't fully understand plate tectonics, but it is surprising that it took until the 60s for somebody to say, hey, these kind of look like they fit together. It looks like a puzzle. Yeah. It looks like it just could have drifted. Hence, continental drift. Yeah, 1960s. And that's where, was it a land bridge or was it continental drift that this is a great migration of people coming over to this side? The Bering Strait was supposed to be a land bridge because it is still, if you look Atlantic. at a map of Alaska and Russia in that area, they're very close <laughs> together and the ocean is very shallow at that point. <laughs> and even then, if it just froze, you can navigate fairly easily. And actually, people have proposed a world transit system basically a super, super highway. And they connect Asia and North America at that point because it would be the shortest bridge. Through water? Yeah. Okay. There are a few more interesting tidbits about Lemuria that I found. Lemuria also has another history, aside from this zoology portion of lemurs that I just covered. So it is claimed by Indonesians and goes by a different name. So it's wrong. Kumari Kandam slash Kumari Kandam spelled differently. Sorry, I thought that would be different. <laughs> <laughs> and 
Kumari Nadu in Tamil, which is a language spoken by the Tamil people of South Asia. And this history of, quotes Lemuria is taught in schools as a part of their history in Indonesia, going actually pretty far back back that they've been being taught about it in schools as a land in the South Pacific that suffered a catastrophe and went down and the current East Indonesia came up out of the ocean. I was able to track that back to about the 1900s or 1920s that that made it into the schools where it was a part of their curriculum. So do you think that's people actively keeping it in there or do you think they're just being lazy? <laughs> it could go either way. To be honest, just from what I, I'm reading, I think it could be, and I'll get your opinion on the end of this. And there's a lot to it. So as with other things, I, it's kind of giving the Coles notes. It seems like a lot of politics, a lot of national pride, connecting themselves to being one of the oldest races that it stands this way. But I'll kind of touch on this. Certain Tamil revivalists connect Kumari Kandam to Lemuria in an adapted theory of Pandyan legends of lands lost to the ocean described in ancient Tamil and Sanskrit literature to an ancient Tamil civilization which existed on Lemuria. So it does have history in both of these texts that there was a landmass in the ocean there. The Tamils characterized Kumari Kandam as an ancient but highly advanced civilization located on an isolated continent in the Indian Ocean and they too often described it as the cradle of civilization made up of speakers solely of the Tamil language. The description varies greatly in these texts for how long ago. Lots of language like once upon a time, various time frames, and how long ago it was lost to the sea. There are maps as well, like High Brazil, that are were published in 1927, published by Purna Lingam Palai, titled Puranic India Before the Deluges, based on an ancient Tamil and Sanskrit literary works. A lot of the stuff we see coming from the Tamil revivalists working on on the culture itself. You see it oh. pick up kind of in the 1920s there. I'm just curious here because I'm doing a bit of Googling while this is going on. Um, <laughs> it says Tamil Indonesians, but as far as I can tell, most Tamils are actually in Sri Lanka. Is that right? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm a little confused because... Uh, I believe it is a culture... Yeah, so it's more spread out than just that one location. But like the yeah. one time I kind of know about Tamil, mm -hmm. I've heard that term before, and it was the Tamil Tigers, their terrorist group in Sri Lanka. Oh, that was kind of fighting for separation. From what I can tell, it is around that area because it's more of a culture than race from what I can okay. put together. And this went into so much detail. All the stuff as far as politically, it required so much research and knowledge of their politics. And I just couldn't in the amount of time that I had to research. So I just kind of put. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Especially with the Tamils, there's a lot of things that have happened between them and the cultures around them. So it's yes. it's really <laughs> hard to. Greatly greatly tied into this and yeah. i just kind of want to touch on this history because it's super interesting it goes back into there into sanskrit texts and tamil texts that it is very notable because these texts go back so long ago but it's definitely really politicized from what you'll kind of see so there's a map published according to them there was this was the place where the first two Tamil literary academies were organized during the Pandyan reign. And from what I can tell, Tamil writers came across the concept of Lemuria in the 1890s. And when they came up with the Tamilized version of the continent's name, and it went from there. So you kind of see it pick up. Like I said, it gained some steam in the 1920s. An interesting time for a, a view of your race being the true and superior mm. race to be yeah. kicking up speed, hey? Yes, it is. Nothing else going on in Europe and East Asia like that, hey? <laughs> you know what? Just wait, like, hold on to after I talk about this because there's a whole other thing. Okay, that being said, there are multiple ancient and medieval Tamil and Sanskrit works containing legendary accounts of lands in South 
India being lost to the ocean dated as far back to the latter centuries of the first millennium CE. This is where it mentions that the Panyan kings, an early Tamil dynasty, established two literary academies in an on Kandam, which I kind of mentioned just a few seconds ago. So the first Sangyam flourished for 4,400 years in a city called Tenmedjurai, attended by 549 poets and presided over by gods like Shiva. The second lasted over 3,700 years in a city called Kapitaparam, attended by 59 poets. The texts state that both cities were seized by the ocean and all the works created at these two schools were lost. The size of the continent is first mentioned in a 15th century commentary that the lost land extended from Paruli River in the north to the Kumari River in the south and covered an area of 700 Kavitam, which is an unknown measurement, and divided (laughs) into 49 territories and divided into seven categories, which is, I think, is an interesting little detail. And they did mention the seven categories and I wasn't even going to list them until I started reading them and then I had to list them because obviously they are I I like the episodes focus on sevens yeah so there's the seven coconut lands the mango lands the front sandy lands the hilly lands the coastal lands and the dwarf (laughs) palm lands and I personally would take up my time in the mango lands but that's just me yeah Uh, I'd split the time maybe stop by coconut land go to mango land and just (laughs) hang out on the sandy beach lands Exactly. It would make I, a but who knows how far apart those things are? Well, exactly. <laughs> the lost the time. Yeah. Cavitam. So a land lost to the sea also helped the Tamil revivalists with an explanation for the lack of historically verifiably acceptable physical evidence about this ancient civilization. We're getting real fascist real fast. It just it uh, really feels like it's somebody trying to justify why they're the superior race. It really is. I will talk on that in a second. There is criticism of the concept as clearly we see a mix of myth and Tamil history. Also, for the various political reasons, it lets the Indonesians explain their culture, language, civilization as being the oldest and original. And they do also quite often refer to it as a superior intelligent race where literally everyone came from politically now i can't really speak on this and i didn't want to because i know nothing absolutely zero about the politics there and it has to do with i think india i found this really interesting because it is mentioned in sanskrit and in their legends but once it was discovered in lemuria it really they really run with it as yeah there is our civilization from there i mean going with that there are a lot of and we've read books with graham hancock and there is a lot of like lost archaeology with things just under the ocean not even that far and especially in indonesia well yeah pyramids and stuff like that it's fairly interesting and i would have loved to touch on that as well but that's a whole other subject i feel like at this point we didn't intend to be a politics podcast we could definitely do something about the interpolitics of this region of the world it is very interesting but Mm. it's it's hard to understand and this is just ignorance unfortunately as english speakers i find their words really hard to say and remember it was it was really hard for me even to find information on this because I did find podcasts. However, they were in I'm not even sure what language it would have been in. But let's call it not English. Yeah, <laughs> it was in English. This is something that people today from this region of the world are taught in school that there was a part of their civilization came from this and did relocate onto various places in and around indonesia and came from these people which i'm glad you picked up on that (laughs) so that's all i have to say about camille kandam next thing is helena blavatsky have you heard of her i have not she does i'm gonna talk on this maybe you'll pick up on it it's gonna start to sound familiar to probably a lot of people really fast so she is like the occultist and founder of theosophy which it's like occult 
you can see these in Alistair Crowley's work. You can see her coming through. Oh, she's pre Alistair Crowley. She is. She. Wow. What is it? Rosicrucians. They come from theosophy. This is the mother of all the occultists. She deserves an episode on herself. I'm trying to remember. She just came up recently on a podcast I was listening to, and I had never heard of her either. And she deserves a episode on her own as well. She was a Russian philosopher born 1831 and died in 1891. And she traveled, quote unquote, around the world. Yes, I'm using quotations because she said she traveled all over the world to all the, to India, uh, Kathmandu, everywhere with the Eastern religions. And whether she did or not, there's not a lot of evidence around Eastern Europe and eventually relocated to America in 1873. Theosophy is a religion that Blavatsky was a part founder in. And again, this is literally just the Coles notes because I kind of wanted to tell Lemuria has a lot of different roles in its history and how it kind of comes together today oh yeah it's a blank canvas that you can paint however you want to paint it it is and these people do they ever and unfortunately Uh, too many people went astray from the lemur idea they went elsewhere and it just makes me so sad and the lemur was literally why is it not an advanced race of lemurs that anybody talks about Theosophy is grounded in occultism. An East meets West religion, this is the first time we see this, stating that there's a greater spiritual reality that can be established through an altered state of mind. Meditation, intuition, be it what you may. Just a disclaimer, this is the most basic explanation of theosophy that I can give you without going into a lot. It is a legit religion, so there's obviously a lot more than what I literally just said. And people would probably yeah. get mad at me if I just yeah. <laughs> summarized it. It really like that. just sounds like somebody <laughs> married the words theology and philosophy together. Yeah. So she kind of took what she studied in wherever she went and kind of put it forth in the Western world. It's also the original ancient aliens. <laughs> So there's that. Um, Well, I I kind of assumed if she's going to talk about Lemuria in the weird way, then yeah, that's where we're going. Oh, just wait, just wait, just back to Lemuria. This is where we see the idea of a mystical Lemuria kind of take shape in the modern world as Blavatsky places Lemuria in the system of her mystical religious doctrine, claiming this was the continent of the homeland of the human ancestors, the Lemurians. Which, where are people getting this? Like, Lemuria was made up because of the lemurs. Like, why are they naming And sorry, what year did she write this? She wrote this. The Theosophical Society uh, has the secret doctrine, which is 1880. That's a horrible... Okay. Mm -hmm. So the idea of Lemuria had at least kind of been in in the world for about 20 years at this point. Yeah. So it's kind of like you've said... Prior to this, like, people with interactions, and it was going back to the episode where we were just talking about, we went back. Randall Forest With the zeros with the and binary? With the binary. Yeah. Like, where are they getting that from? Because it could be just a random point. It's like, I'm sure the Lemurians didn't call themselves the Lemurians, and people are, you know, having communication, and they're calling themselves the Lemurians. And we got way too many lemurs around here. What are we going to name this great nation? (laughs) Like, you're named after lemurs. Also, yes, also, we speak English and have (laughs) named these creatures lemurs. Let it be put forth throughout the world. So the Theosophical Society contends in the secret doctrine 1888 that human beings evolved slash are evolving through seven successive just wait. It's gonna start to sound familiar to you real quick. So human beings evolve slash are evolving through seven successive root races, each of which populated and occupied different continents. Lemuria was occupied by the third root race called Lemurians, who were primitive beings. This one calls them primitive. And actually, if you listen to anything else, the Atlanteans were the superior race. 
and the Lemurians. <laughs> Man, we, we can't even find these people. We're already grading them against each oh other. God, it's so funny. And then the Tamils just think that they're the greatest thing, which is hilarious. <laughs> you think you're great? Have you even yeah. met an Atlantean? Exactly. Okay, before we run out of time, but we're not going to run out of any time. You're just going to get a longer episode than usual. Primitive beings. Subsequently, the more advanced inhabitants of Atlantis, called the Atlanteans, replaced them. Atlanteans, the descendants Wait, they... of Atlanteans, were the fifth root race and were considered the pinnacle of evolution. Yes. Are are they going to kill the Lemurians? <laughs> no. It kind of feels like the superior race is now justifying why it sunk an entire continent. Oh. Okay. Touche. We don't know because this is Andalusian. I don't think that was the right word because I forgot what it was. Pre-flood times. So. Antediluvian. Yeah, that one. Okay. It would also be weird to describe yourself as in the antediluvian age. In the antediluvian age. <laughs> it probably didn't exist. Kind of like people before Christ. Hey, we're living before Christ. What are we counting what? down to? I don't know. Yeah, what are we <laughs> who are we living before right now that we should be counting down to? We should be counting down. We should actually propose a new calendar that just ends at a certain point. That's kind of what the uh, Aztecs did. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of mystery, really. Yeah, Real they just thought, you know what? There's going to be something in the future that people are counting up from. Let's try to guess when that will be. Yeah, and then it gives us something to look forward to. So that was nice. Yeah, I, I let's propose pose a new thing and we're just living in like 20 before cataclysm we should and then we're in 20 bc right now yeah and technically a lot of people are doing that by predicting the end of the world however there's no big countdown but then they just start again when they get it wrong so we can do that i propose we do this stick to the date and then just once that comes along we're just in the after cataclysm phase and we just start counting Ah, and then everybody's gonna be like wait what happened and you're like oh you know the thing cataclysm <laughs> that's okay something happened that day true something would have someone had a bad day someone had a good day oh, we can just be pre-thing and post-thing we want to keep it vague i did get curious once they mentioned aryans so i had to oh, sorry aryans are one of the root races yeah you want to know what the root yeah. race is <gasps> oh god the nazis definitely read her they oh, definitely yeah. read her they sure yeah. <laughs> Sure did. Yeah. I and I did look into this. We don't actually cite her. And I have put it on our list of episodes to look at with Nazis and the occult because I got curious on this and started Googling about Nazis and the occult. They don't actually cite theosism, but a lot of the people drew their works from her because she's the original. Anyhow, I'm going to do the root races. So number one is Polarian. These were ethereal beings at the very beginning of Earth when it was still cooling and they divided like amoeba. Number two. The Hyperborean. They were gold oh. colored. They reproduced by budding. I'm entirely <laughs> unsure what that uh, is. Hyperborea actually comes up in Greek mythology. It's a land to the north. It's like basically a utopia where the sun never sets. Okay. I've, it also I comes mean, up in the world of Conan the Barbarian. It's one of the uh, lands. Yeah. Which Lemuria is also, I found out from a Wikipedia for Mar- the Marvel Universe. Lemuria is a land oh. there as well. It's known all over the place. Hyperborean. So they were gold colored. They reproduced by budding. Earth is still taking form because the Earth has no axle tilts. And they lived in Hyperborea, included what is now Northern Canada, Greenland, Iceland, Scandinavia, Northern Asia, and Kamkotchka. Huh. That would be Russia. What you were saying, Kamchatka was a region, yeah, a region which included Russia. I believe it was a big region of things. Yeah, so it would have included a lot of Eastern Europe, Russia, over into Japan. It looks like Mongolia, Kamchatka Peninsula. So then, huh. number three was Lemurian, aka Shalmali, which would have extended from the Indian Ocean, Australia, and extending into the South Pacific Ocean, which does give credence because there are land masses like this mentioned all over the place. That's mostly where I saw a 
lot of these under the ocean land masses. There, there's a lot off Japan, off the South Pacific. There could be more in other parts of the world. I heard a lot of them in this region. Yeah, and honestly, around India, they have discovered sunken cities. Yeah, and these sunken cities, I don't know why I'm submitting this here because I should have put it back when I was talking about it, are low enough under the ocean that they're not very far to get to by scuba diving, but they're low enough that it would have been like a long, long time ago that it would have been feasible to even build it on that land that would have been yeah. above ocean. And that either means that the land it was on sunk or their younger Dryas. Sorry, I have to remember how it's described, but the Ice Age. Yeah. This isn't what that episode is about, though, so that's okay. So yeah, remnants of this continent being Madagascar, Papua New Guinea, and Australia. This um, That is actually a proposed supercontinent as well. The supercontinent of Australia. Really? Yeah. So this root race began about 34.5 million years ago, aka the Jurassic period, which means... Oh, and sorry, these are all different evolutions of humans, right? Yeah. So they're moving along very slowly and also evolving as they're moving along through these ancient sites that don't actually exist. Yes, and I I think you'll appreciate how they're evolving because I really don't know how this would happen. I I really miss our giant golden budding phase. I know. (laughs) So they went from being amoebas. They just divided like amoebas. Sorry, they weren't amoebas. They were ethereal. And then they went to budding. And now (laughs) the first three subraces reproduced by laying eggs. So I'm not really sure how these are taking physical form in this reproduction production the fourth beginning uh the fourth subrace of lemurians began about 16.5 million years ago starting to reproduce like modern humans so i'm not really sure what bridged <laughs> that from three to fourth with eggs to non egg essentially oh, from reptilian to i have now. just as many questions about moving from <laughs> budding to eggs it didn't say it did not give me maybe we have to become theosophists i don't know if that's what they call themselves to know (laughs) do they have a local church i don't know maybe i don't know and then i'm not sure how that transition would even begin to happen the lemurian race were much larger than us being roughly 15 feet tall so giants depending on your source they could have had four arms and been a hermaphroditic Wait, so they're they're giving birth normally, but now anybody can do it? Yes. Okay. Okay. It's kind of, uh, it's a lot of information. Unfortunately, now I'm picturing them all as Goro from Mortal Kombat with That's the forearms. That's fine. Okay. That's fine. I can only find them say that with forearms in one place. Uh so I, I just okay. threw it in for uh, any mention I, of six fingers. No. Okay. Because generally I when just, you see people talking about giants online, they they're the big signs that you look for are red hair and six fingers. No, it was just the forearms that they mentioned. And I figured why not throw it in because we're going from laying eggs to giving birth real fast. So I figured what could it hurt? Eventually, Lemuria was submerged due to volcanic eruptions and the population was forced to Africa, southern India and the East Indies. Little known fact, and I think I'm putting this in the wrong place. I don't quite know because I read so much on Lemuria. Lemurians, when they dispersed from Lemuria in all their normal birth-giving ways, they went to Africa, Indonesia. They're like the Mediterranean races around Europe. And then the Atlanteans were the ones that went to like America and stuff like that. All the like light, more light-skinned races and then up to the north, which I thought was... I don't know. I'm uh, not sure what I thought that was. It's the 1800s. They're trying to explain race. Yeah, true. And then according to traditional theosophy, this includes the Capioid race, the Congioid race, the Dravidians, and the Australioid race. I didn't know that that was a race. Mostly made up of criminals. <laughs> Uh, they might be talking about the indigenous who the only crime they committed was right. living in Australia before the criminals got there. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. So also, I guess, original thing. thin from Christianity, but 
<laughs> That's just because Puritans went there. You know what? That makes sense. Number four, the Atlantean route race. So this race inhabited Atlantis 4.5 million years ago from the fourth subrace of the Lemurians in an area now inhabited by the Ashanti area in modern day Ghana. So I'm just trying to put this together in my mind. No. So there's these places where humans grow to their peak and then all the other humans because they're she just described that there's humans everywhere now they're mm -hmm. not the root race they're inferior do they just die out no because they're some of us so they also continue on we just we're don't. all just inferior people going about our inferior lives <laughs> to be not honest, being I a root god to be honest i include myself in that race okay <laughs> no names so Atlanteans then have seven sub-races, which I'm not going to go into the descendants of the They Atlanteans. love their sevens. Yeah. According to traditional theosophy, those included... Theosophy include those of the Mongolian race, the Malayan race, American Indian race. So we go from number four to number five, which is where we are residing currently. You want to take a guess? The Aryan, right? Yeah. 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 That's the race that some people are in right now. So this one goes back about 100,000 years ago, emerging from the Atlantean root race. So Blavatsky has stated that the souls of Aryans began to incarnate into the Atlanteans about 1 million years ago. It is believed the Aryan root race was propagated by Avasavatu Manu, a master of the ancient wisdom, migrated out of Atlantis about 797 BC. That's a big number. I'm Didn't not sure. What Atlantis sank like at least 9,000 years ago? Not sure. Okay. Because I, I know like the only things we know about Atlantis that have actually been written down back in the day was Plato. Yeah. And Plato says that it sunk well before he was around. Yeah. It's supposed no to be actual, much older than that. There's no actual numbers for any of these things. I mean, they're all in ancient texts, yeah. and you know these ancient texts. They don't really put numbers to anything. I mean, really, they can't, because how would they have any number to explain what they're experiencing? They, well, most cultures do have calendars. In fact, our calendar is not the first one used in Europe. It's yeah. just we decided to stick with the Gregorian That's yeah. at some point. And before that, we were using the Julian calendar. Before that, I forget the name of it, but... They were counting something well before we decided that this year was zero, and we're going to go yeah. forward from here. So it contends the most closely related to this race now are the Cabiel, closely related to Atlanteans. I tried to look at that race. It mostly exists in the Middle East, but that would and, take me again in wait, another direction. And the Nazis were okay with this? There's no mention of the Nazis, really. Okay. Other than we can see kind of what's taking shape here. Yeah. Blavatsky does connect physical race with spiritual attributes, and they do specifically say that they don't put race to anything. This is aside, even though it does I'm not say racist. I'm just saying some people have better spirits than others. Exactly. So oh God. this is like the 1900s. She does yeah. connect physical race with spiritual attributes. So there is a difference between Aryans and other races. There's no culture, no generations of training amid civilization. Raise such human specimens as the Bushmen, some African tribes, etc. to the same intellectual level as the Aryans. Does this ring a bell at all to you this i've never heard these concepts before is missing in them and it is they who are the only inferior races on the globe now happily owing to the wise adjustment of nature whichever works in that direction fast dying out early macon is of one blood but not of the same essence I did put that quote in for a reason because it, I mean, this is why I read on yeah. with, with Blavatsky wow. and where she was going, right? So this goes on obviously in further details. So I just wanted to put that quote in there, have with it what you may. Subraces are predicted to rise in the 21st century in California and surrounding areas. Number six root race is TBA. This one is predicted to be established in Baja, California. <laughs> Theosophical Society under the guidance of the masters of ancient wisdom in the 28th century for the intensive selective eugenic breeding of the sixth root race. 
The whole thing is very worrisome, really. The world will be powered by nuclear power. There will be a single world government led by someone who will be the reincarnation of Julius Caesar. A new <laughs> It will form out of the Pacific Ocean, which will be this root race's new home. And of course, California will become its own island. Number seven, TBA root race will arise from the seventh root race on the future continent that the sixth root race will be living on that we just discussed esoterically will be called Pushkara. This will be the last root race on Earth. Both conception and birth will be entirely spiritual. I believe she mentioned at this time they moved to Jupiter or Mars uh, or somewhere within the planet enough. system. I mean, we're running out of spots. Yeah. <laughs> we have to move eventually. I would be curious where she decides that they would go because there's a lot of occult around Jupiter and Saturn, specifically Saturn. I Jupiter. But I didn't okay. actually put it in here because I was like, eh, that's weird. Four arms made it in. What planet it goes to did not make the cut on this one, unfortunately. Okay. I would gamble a guess and say it's Saturn, but I will come back and we're definitely going to talk about this again. We're, we're too deep in it now. Yeah. I mean, this is just the surface. Like, it actually took me a long amount of time to get this, <laughs> this much vague information into this episode. <laughs> there was a lot of sifting I had to do. Everything irredeemably sinful and wicked it says cruise but that's not the right word here something and destructive will have been eliminated from root races which oh yeah cruises cruises are evil i'm (laughs) yeah i'm (laughs) don't believe to be part of the root races at this time i just would like to opt out if i have maybe if i do that genealogy thing it would tell me whether i'm a part of the root races or not that's an option (laughs) that's all it says (laughs) so obviously there's much much more to this and i gave the cole's notes versions as i've said about 10 times if any of these ring a bell to you other than the obvious root race which is the topic of discussion it should the basic aryan root race is what gave the nazis the very basic idea behind arianism and the theosophy is the very beginning while nazis and the occult go hand in hand the central idea they use is not theosophy however small the role is notable because that sounded very notable yeah Um, they specifically said eugenics for the next step yeah Exactly. That's the first time anything like that is mentioned. So wherever branch that the Nazis were getting their occult for, because they had a heavy, heavy hand using occult, a lot of Eastern practices as well with the Nazis. Yeah, the swastika is a sign of luck and prosperity in many Eastern cultures. Yeah, so that would be a good episode to do as well. Anyhow, we're still talking about Lemuria. (laughs) Just to remind you, nowadays, obviously, Lemuria goes hand in hand with the lost city of Atlantis, Mu, mystical lost islands. There's even some crystal skulls sprinkled in there, which I obviously didn't touch on as well, because this is where with the whole other can of worms. Yeah, that's where it gained its mysticism and people communicating with Lemurians and stuff like that through whatever means. And you see that a lot in New Age stuff, just kind of vague references to Lemuria. It's kind of weird how much it's caught on in that area. Yeah, and the crystal skulls. Yeah, it's strange. Not that I won't listen to it sometimes. I would rather Mm -hmm. listen to other things. But in recent news, there is recent news on Lemuria. 2013, geologists actually discovered evidence of a lost continent precisely where Lemuria was said to have existed. Scientists have found fragments of granite in the ocean south of India along a shelf that extends hundreds of miles south of India towards Mauritius. On Mauritius itself, geologists found the mineral zircon, despite the fact that the island only came into being about 2 million years ago when it rose out of the ocean due to science and plate tectonics and volcanoes. The zircon dated to 3 billion years ago. That's science. Are you so sure what, that wasn't due to theosophy, though? Uh, it arose through theosophy. It could have. Yes. 
So what does this mean? The zircon had come from a much older landmass that had sunk into the Indian Ocean. Scientists scrapped the name Lemuria this time and went with Marusha. He didn't like Lemuria this time, even though science came up with Lemuria. Yeah, I kind of feel like they had heard rumors that all the connotations on the back webs that come Mm. with Lemuria, mostly very superior race minded people. And they said, you know what, let's let's get away from that connotation with Lemuria. For some reason, it tends to be a superiority complex. We're not in philosophy. It is not superior. (laughs) It is. No, but I would venture a guess that these are also people coming from that region doing research there. And they would know kind of the politics behind it. And maybe they or somebody they know was taught about Lemuria in school and they wanted to avoid that connection. Yeah, Probably. I wouldn't doubt it myself. I'd probably do it. Yeah. Based on this info, Marisha disappeared into the Indian Ocean around 84 million years ago when this portion of the globe was still taking shape. Given this information, because we're all wondering about the lemurs, they didn't evolve on Madagascar until about 54 million years ago when they swam there from mainland Africa, which was once closer to Africa than it was than it is now. But there's no lemurs in Africa. Yeah, that's why. Like they all left? I guess so. I'd be curious, do they find lemur fossils in Africa? It sounds like it because it says they didn't evolve on Madagascar until about 54 million years ago. But you bring up a good point because it was between Madagascar and India, not Africa and Madagascar or India. Yeah, and there's no lemurs in Africa. They're in India and Madagascar. Yeah, maybe I should have started with that. I'm not sure. Okay this information came from uh <laughs> anyhow along these lines there's actually an overwhelming amount of sunken cities in which is not in mainstream knowledge of archaeology and i already said this taylor and i have read a little bit of graham hancock who goes into this i know you've read more graham hancock than i have and he's into fringe archaeology really good reads he has really good information factual information well-researched information yeah he he sometimes gets thrown in with the ancient alien hypotheses or the speculators he is not that he very much so tries to remain as grounded as possible and is really just looking to push back the date that we really talk about humanity coming out of the jungle, more or less. Yeah. And into the cities. Yeah, really good reads, really long reads, full of really good information. Yeah. I forget the name of the book. It came out, I believe, 2018 or 2019. Uh, I, I, I'll look it up and we'll talk about it next time. But yeah, Graham Hancock has very good information. Yeah. And I keep talking about the Younger Dryas. He is obsessed with the Younger Dryas period because he believes a lot of things happened at that time that we don't really talk about. Yeah. Nothing alien related. I have never talked about it. Anyhow, we're running long. <laughs> that is my <laughs> roller coaster of my research that was on Lemuria. It was quite scattered, quite, it took me in some directions I wasn't expecting to be taken in. I was really yeah. hoping there'd be more about the lemurs. I'm not going to lie, but man, that went sideways fast. It did. I did I was... not think it would get to a point where people were justifying genocides based on things about Lemuria they believed. Yeah. Well, huh. I guess you could make that connection. Yeah. Yeah. So really, it's just perpetuating evil all over the globe. And that's where and I... I guess to... we'll see you all in Baja, California, where we find out... Who's the I true really, root six TBA? Just, just based on those root races, I really feel like I'm not a part of those superior races. No, you burn in Baja. Yeah, <laughs> but if you so were looking it. to justify yourself being a superior race, look no further than Lemuria, because yeah. everybody else has done it. Yeah, well, pending, because Atlanteans apparently are where it's at for the real superior race. Or yeah. TBA race. Or if you can bud or lay an egg, maybe. That's a giveaway as well. Or you haven't evolved at all. <laughs> problem. So that's it for this episode number eight. It's un- uncountable. <laughs> we can never know. It's too bad. I would like to know. But if you found that interesting, stay tuned for next week where we're going to talk about actual islands that definitely do exist that have some interesting sides to them that you might not know about. Yeah. I think we both have some fun ones to talk about. Yeah. So so. thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Goodbye.